Hello, I'm Anthony Fury. Thanks so much for joining us for the latest episode of Full Comment. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing. The concern that Canada may be losing its identity, that the country is changing in not always good ways, that it's not what it once was, well, that is seen as a old stock complaint, right? Some old-fashioned, out-of-touch old guy going on about the past, right? Well, maybe not. Maybe not always. Maybe more and more immigrants to Canada are feeling like what they're experiencing here isn't necessarily what they signed up for, that the things that first attracted them to Canada may be under threat, may be changing. These sorts of themes are addressed in Lydia Perovich's new book, Lost in Canada, An Immigrant's Second Thoughts. Lydia came to Canada in 1999 from Montenegro and now works as a freelance arts and culture journalist based out of Toronto. She joins us now. Hey, Lydia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Congratulations on your book. It just covers uh, so many themes of, of arts and culture and, and politics and uh, in general. It's, a, it, it's an impressive scope. Absolutely. In personal life, of course, because what age you are, it matters in these things yeah yeah a very good point and, and on that note i mean tell me about your immigrant experience at what what year you came i said you came in 1999 but but how right. old you were and, and sort of what you came for and what attracted you to canada why you chose canada so i came when i was 25 and i have no family here so i was quite wow i'm just a jock i'm just gonna go out on my own and reinvent my own life and my country back back in the balkans was falling apart in the civil war and just had NATO bombing has just completed uh, over the war in Kosovo, in Serbia, in Montenegro, and Milosevic was still in power, and the institutions were falling apart. It was really, really grim, grim time. And there are hundreds and thousands of people, uh, educated people, have left the region and unfortunately still keep leaving. And I got a scholarship to do an MA at Dalhousie. Uh, in political theory and politics. And I just jumped at the opportunity. And after that, I found a tiny job in a publishing company and then I just stayed. And uh, of course, what interested, what, 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 what interested me about Canada was um, its stability. It's kind of agnosticism about ethnic background. There's not a lot of countries like this. Most of the countries are ethno-nationalist or, or, even worse, the theocracies and so on. But um, there's maybe a handful of countries where it really doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. The idea is that your sex doesn't matter, that uh, how you dress, what your sexual preference, that doesn't matter either. And so that was an interesting plan and project. And I think it, it's still a worth project to pursue. And then uh, what attracted me was like the usual set of liberties, uh, which, for example, charter spells out so so precisely, the freedom of uh, uh, assembly, the freedom of speech and uh, inquiry in universities. Universities had freedom of inquiry as, as one of the top ideals. And also, it was a country that was interested in its culture. And it's, it had extensive arts journalism, it had long-form culture writing, it was interested in its project. And all these, these three things that I mentioned, I don't think... I don't think they're as strong, or some some are actively on the way out. Uh, in in my in my view, so that's like a short uh, short short uh, summary of how I think Canada changed uh, before my eyes in the last twenty years. Well, let's pick up on a few of those threads. I do find it interesting that you say. Uh, 
issues of, of, of race and, and gender and sexuality just aren't as prominent here as they are in other countries. You point out there are so many ethno-nationalist nations out there. And I hear that from, from many people who come from other countries. And I think if you just travel the world, you see it. And yet at the same time, in recent years, uh, we've heard a lot of how there is incredible racism all across Canada, systemic racism, uh, pervasive, happening all the time. And, and of course, I'm sure we'd all agree, yes, if there is racism, let's let's tackle it. But this idea is if we are even worse than those nations that you point out are, are ethnic nationalist countries or countries that, that are deeply racist in many respects. No, I think we're trivializing these words and that's that's quite dangerous. I mean, every everything now is fascist, everything is homophobic, everything is transphobic, everything, everything is racist, and even genocidal. And I think that's incredibly unwise. Uh, because, I mean, it's not accurate, for one. Uh, and second, we're trivializing these words. I mean, these things still exist. But to call Canada a country where there's ongoing genocide in 2022, that's just, just that person cannot be serious. One thing that troubled me so much as a person who's appeared on radio and television programs to just talk about general public issues and public policy is I remember the other year there's a discussion, is the RCMP systemically racist? And there was somebody uh, who went on CBC and said, no, it's not. And they were removed. They've never gone on that network again. They had some opportunities taken away. And it made it clear that you can't say this. I thought, well, why did you ask the yes or no question if you were going to basically ruin the person for for giving either the yes or the no? And they didn't know which was the right answer. And is this not something we can at least have a conversation about, even if we disagree with what the person said? That's absolutely true. And nobody explains the terms of reference. When you when people say systemic racism, what do you mean? So that could have been an opportunity to explain what people mean by that. But no, I think I think that happened in December of 2020 when the entire world had Black Lives Matter protests because of something that happened in the US. So it's fascinating how their culture wars spill out into every country and especially in Canada. I don't think I've, we've ever been more American. I don't know what you think who grew up here, but I don't think since I've been here, I don't think we've ever been more American and so obsessed with their and so interpreting ourselves with that American vocabulary. Lydia, you mentioned freedom of speech is one of the things that is not what it once was in Canada. That's right, unfortunately. What are the ways where freedom of speech is being eroded? Well, you have we have a... Where do you look first? I mean, <laughs> you have uh, it's happening in all the what we what we call now the meaning making institutions, the media, the universities, the public schooling system, uh, the arts organizations. In all of these, uh, freedom of speech and expression is not it's not the top value anymore. There are some other values that override it. So, I mean, in university, you have this invitation of of uh, speakers uh, in publishing you have staff uproar over authors who bring for example uh, a lot of money to certain publishing companies but for some political reasons junior staff are in the up in the uproar and sometimes they prevent publication um then you have you have people protesting uh feminists renting rooms in libraries i mean i stunned Pride Parade, Pride Parade now in Toronto is against libraries and against comedy. So you have Pride Parade making statements and press releases that are against comedy and against libraries. This is unbelievable to me. This is unbelievable to me. 
It has been so disturbing to see in the case of uh, various library events going on, attempts to ban people who are having conversations about transgender issues in a way that uh, does not conform to what the activists want. It's like, okay, you don't care for this person's book? Fine, don't buy it or or write an op-ed saying why it's a bad book. Exactly. Write, a, write a review saying this book sucks or what have you. But the idea that the library's got to shut it down and to the credit of the library, they did not. So then we got a riot in front of the event to block people yes. from going in. Yeah, it's very strange. And it's speech within, I mean, hate speech does exist in Canada, but it's its not that. That is that is not it, what uh, they were protesting. So there, it's a debate, it's a conversation, and uh, basically it's the one of the speakers we're talking about, for example, is Megan Murphy. Like 90% of Western population believed what she still believes now, which is that you don't change sex by declaration. It's not enough just to say, I am a woman, and from tomorrow, everybody should be treating you as a woman. This is what we used to all believe, but now suddenly that's, what is it, um, extreme right-wing dog whistle, like speech, free speech in general is extreme-wing, it's extraordinary. And then you have then you have stuff happening like, uh, I think it happened in the Vancouver Sun uh, a couple of years ago, when an op-ed was unpublished. So I think that's an interesting precedent and, and very, very strange because it was an op-ed about questioning the, the levels of immigration and, and quoting Robert Putnam's uh, study that I, that I also mentioned in the book about how uh, high, high level of um, ethnic diversity very fast uh, have a temporary effect of reducing social trust in big cities, for example. And a lot of sociologists sociologists have studied this in various contexts. And they did, a lot of these studies did show that temporarily at least, until we start intermarrying and and getting a little less weary about other ethnic groups, the social trust goes down. So anyway, one of the arguments in this op-ed was this, and um, was kind of diplomatically suggesting, oh, well, should we? I mean, I, I disagree. I think Canada needs a lot of immigration. But uh, it was suggesting, what are we, is this wise 200,000? Are we doing enough to integrate them and so on? And uh, no, that was suddenly beyond the pale. And it got unpublished. So that, that, was, that was shocking to me. Well, I guess when it comes to immigration, you give another example of something where we just can't even have a conversation. So for years, it was 250,000 immigrants we brought in, and then it was brought up to 300,000 by Justin Trudeau. And right now, the plan is to exceed 400,000 a year. And we'd previously heard, I remember when we brought in Syrian refugees, the support agency said, well, hold on, slow down. There's just more people coming in than we can absorb. And it's like, there are legitimate conversations to be had about the number of uh, housing spaces available, support groups. I know different church groups and, and, and different voluntary groups support people, but they're like, well, there's just too many for us to support. But then the politicization is, you're saying too many people of this religion or of this skin color, how dare you? You're this and you're that. And they're like, no, no, we're simply talking about logistics as well. Yes. Yes, yes. No, I mean, our immigration is completely agnostic about what ethnicity you are. But what's, la- I mean, what's lacking is extensive infrastructure for uh, uh, these hundreds of people. I mean, what happens is on municipal level, uh, the decisions had to be made. And I mean, look at our situation with housing. Uh, look at a Toronto. Do you live in Toronto? Uh, or I do. I live in the side? east end of Toronto. And I can tell you that's the one thing, as you know, that everybody talks about. If you're a homeowner, you talk about, oh my God, I can't believe this is the price of homes or how much, how, why is my home yes. worth this much? And if you're a renter, you talk about, will I ever be able to afford a home? And yes. look at how much rents yes. have gone up. It's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, the new... 
uh, let's say let's say we need i mean you know how zoning is organized in a lot of our cities not not for example in montreal but in toronto you have a tiny area let's say two kilometers square three kilometers square where you can develop and then the rest is detached housing and detached housing the so-called yellow belt they don't want any degree of densification so where do you put like i live in highly tower dense area in upper jarvis and i had four or five different uh, new uh, condo towers coming up. So we're all on top of each other, right? So at our public schools, uh, do they have enough spaces? Do we have that infrastructure? So what I'm saying is, I suppose I'm fine with high levels of immigration if you have systems in place. Because, I mean, I went through this and let me tell you, it's not easy to integrate yourself in Canada. It's kind of pretty different culturally. Like, it's not like the US where you, you join and then you have all kinds of narratives about the country. And I don't think we're particularly, as I mentioned earlier, we're particularly proud in our culture or read it and watch our movies. There's none of that. So you have to figure out your own way. And a lot of people just hunker, hunker down with their own ethnic group because they're already, there's already infra infrastructure, right? So I, I think I, I'm saying in the book that that's gotten a little worse too, because a lot of us, especially in large ethnic groups, uh, just hang out with our own because there are pre-existing uh, infrastructure support, social services organizations and so on. It's something that I wanted to avoid and it doesn't exist for my small ethnic, uh, ethnic group. So you have to, you have to do it on your own and figure it out on your own. And Lydia, you, you write very movingly about your own personal story, your personal situation coming as an immigrant individually, as, as yourself. Uh, you didn't bring siblings or a spouse or, or children or parents along with you and talking about making friends, making meaningful connections, which uh, we know a lot of times we do that when we're a teenager or first years of university and you stick with those people as your close friends for years. When you move uh, in your 20s or in your 30s, you, you will abandon those friends or not see them as frequently. And there's a lot of challenges in the immigrant experience, in the urban experience, in a place like Toronto. You know, you said that there's just people all over you in terms of all the new uh, high-rise developments that have been built. But then at the same time, one can also be very lonely, you know, alone together. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think this is this this happens. Uh, I mentioned in the book uh, other examples from uh, the U.S. and from Britain. It's uh, people are starting to talk about this. That this just, I mean, you have a full time job, you have a family, and that's it. That's your life. There's yeah. simply no room for new people. And I keep meeting people through freelancing and through other means. It's just nobody has time for new people in their lives. I think, I don't know what, what cutoff point is, but I think I think it's by the end of 20s, early 30s, perhaps. I think you're done, you, especially if you start your own family, you're done making new friends. So now you have these adults coming as immigrants. And again, they, they hunkered down to their own ethnic groups. And if you don't want that, or if you can't do that, because you don't have a big ethnic group, then it's tricky. You know, and you also point out it's even what your interests are in or in what your your family makeup is in, in terms of you talking about how uh, lesbian couples with children are now less likely to be close friends with lesbian couples without yes. children or, or a single yes. lesbian lady without a child, because I guess the ones with children are just talking about what it's like taking the kid to hockey practice. So even it's there, true. there's a cleavage in those associations. Absolutely. You'll see when you talk to any gay person, uh, it's... Big, big, big division between, I think it's a little less with gay men. A lot of them have open marriages, so they keep out going out, meeting new people and so on. I have a friend who's almost 70 and he, he goes cruising. He's happily partnered. He goes cruising every, every weekend, basically. But uh, it's 
that's a minority, even, even among the gay population, that's a minority. They also kind of settle and their, their life gets settled and cocooned and it, it's complicated. We, we get so picky with new people though, right? So it has, if you meet a new person as a friend, they have to get along with your kids, your partner, you have, so it's, it's all these things, right? And we get very finicky as adults and, and picky and it gets hard. I find it fascinating that our conversation has so quickly just drifted into so many different, we've covered like 20 issues in a period of like six <laughs> minutes, but, but it's all very organic. They all do very much connect. And to go back to the headline of the book, Lost in Canada, how can one be found in this scenario? Because I know you're talking about the, the newcomer or, or the immigrant experience. I won't say newcomer because I know you came to Canada over 20 years ago, but, but we're saying it applies to almost everyone this day and age, the the disintegration of society? Yes. Is that the phrase? Yes. And we keep changing jobs. We keep moving. Like it's normal here. That's That was a new thing for, for me because I grew up in a communist country that you didn't change, you didn't, you didn't change your apartment every couple of years. The, you, you weren't on a ladder going up and up and up and up. You just settled for 10, 20 years in the same place. Here, people keep moving. Everything changes. Uh, we drop perhaps too easily. We drop relationships. We drop marriages. Uh, we drop jobs. We drop people. We always better, 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 grasping for more, grasping for more. And so our um, relationships will suffer. Yeah. Politicization has become a real hotbed thing these days. I feel like we hear more and more of people who just can't talk to that person or associate with that person if they don't share the right views. Those those famous polls that said, well, I'm a Trump supporter and I would never have lunch with a Hillary supporter. I'm a Hillary supporter. I would never have lunch with a Trump supporter. That was sort of most yes. acute. They did polling on it. But do you feel like that's going on in society writ large now? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that does not help with the connecting among people issue either. Um, especially in certain professions, there's a lot of group think shockingly in, in academia. Mm. Like I thought, I thought in liberal democracies, there's less of that, but no, apparently everybody's careerist as, as much as in the less democratic countries. And they don't want to share rock the boat and just continue, continue with their life. So it's the build stable life. So no, I, we definitely need to talk to each other. I mean, I know, I know people block each other, and the social media did not does not help with this. It helped in the polarization, and it uh, we just choose who we want to follow. And if somebody says something we don't like, we unfollow or we block. And uh, in real life, we don't. Very few of us uh, constantly mix with different kinds of people. We if, if you have a stable job, you just be meeting your coworkers at your workplace, and maybe your kids will bring new people into your life. That's one way if your life is stable uh, as, a, as a married person. So no, it's, uh, there's a lot of economic conditions that just, and also technological uh, uh, conditions that just keeps, keep, us, keep us apart. And we, by inertia, we, we don't counter them. We'll be back in just a moment with more full comment. It's interesting. You bring up academia. There's been lots of discussion about how bizarrely close-minded and 
and non-liberal the liberal arts have become. I know you know the arts and culture world well. I'm always surprised by how increasingly dogmatic that realm has also become. One would think it should be free-spirited, open ideas. There's supposed to be a lot of oddball characters. So I guess you never know what views people are going to have. It's all... You know, any sort of art is about exploring the deep human condition. So you would feel like rigidity of view is not really a thing that happens in those worlds, but it is. I feel like they're so dogmatic now. It's very strange. It's that's an, uh, you can add this to my list of surprises, but uh, I I hear from people who leave acad- academia uh, on um, uh, from so- on social media and they write about it too. I mean, we know of, ca- of cases uh, like the Bogosian professor Bogosian who just decided realized i just cannot teach anymore because he offers different different points of view in his teaching and uh, i'm sure there are many many more cases that that um, are behind the scenes people just giving up on, on life in the academia uh it's extraordinary I, I i wish i knew the solution i wish i could say more of a, more of you could i mean i could say more of you should speak up more more of you should disagree more of you should do something but it's it's not really happening. Maybe they just want quiet lives, and that's how I guess that's how large swaths of population conform to uh, noxious ideologies. It's it's very strange. And I think perhaps one of the reasons you're able to see this more clearly, or at least write about it in a more open way, coming from a country that was less free, you've had these battles before, haven't you? Yes, yes, I did my uh, politics degree in Belgrade, and that was just as communism was ending and ethno-nationalism was on the rise. And there was, like, the liberal Democrats were tiny minority. So you really had to brush up your arguments. You have to, you had, you, brush, you, you actually were in classes with, with wide uh, ideological spectrum of other students who may be refugees from Bosnia, who may be uh, ardent national, Serbian nationalists, who uh, maybe still regret that communism fell apart. So it, it, that's the kind of conversation that you would, I mean, it was extremely stressful because you didn't know which way the country's gonna go and whether the authoritarianism was gonna return and stay for good. But uh, you, you kind of, yeah, you, you kind of brush up, you, you, you get used, you work the muscle, you work the muscle, you talk to all kinds of people. And so when I see that there's, when I'm in an environment where, in an environment where there's a consensus about most issues, It's very strange. It's very strange. Lydia, I'm sure you're familiar with Justin Trudeau's famous phrase that Canada is the world's first post-national state. And a lot of people responded with great hostility to that. And, you know, he said there's no core underlying identity, I think he was saying. And and people took that to mean he wanted that to be the case. And I think he probably does. But he might have also just been attempting to describe what's going on here. And as much as I don't like the idea and I'm against it, I mean, is is he onto something that 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 is actually kind of what ails us right now? Well, I would, had he said post-nationalist, I would have co-signed. Hmm. But uh, I think, I think, as I mentioned in the book, I think the nation state, is a kind of solidarity that I think it's still worthy of existing. And it, it, cross, it cuts across so many regional differences, regional resentments, uh, lack of interest for each other. I mean, what you could argue that we are effectively, what, five or six countries. And Canada has always been kind of a messy, messy project and h- highly decentralized, 
two languages. Now with the indigenous languages, things are getting complicated even more. And all the large ethnic groups have their own institutions as well. So you have uh, institutions in Cantonese, you have institutions in Hindu, uh, Hindi. And uh, so, I mean, it would be good to have something that encompasses all this. And if we say we are post-national, that means we're just, we, we've given up on this great solidarity uh, among all of us. We've given up in advance, I think. And what actually happens now with that we're losing interest in our own culture, what we used to be called national culture, which is, let's just call it culture. And I, my theory is because the arts now have this ideological uh, demand before them, that they have to be solving racism, they have to be solving sexism, social problems, which the arts did not create. Now we have to deal with, the arts have to deal with. And so Canadians, are you, I think this is my theory, are you uh, less and less interested in their, in their own arts? And just like, like American culture, much more. The arts is becoming increasingly insular, perhaps. Yes, yeah, except towards America. So we get we get a lot of stuff from America. Yeah, we, we respond to a lot that's happening in in the U.S. But about the rest of the world, yeah, that's probably true. That's we're very inward looking at the moment. Yes, Canadian music has always done pretty well. We've always had icons of Canadian music. Either they move to the U.S. and are famous there, or they stay here and they remain pretty famous and, and tour here and tour all around the world. Other cultural spheres. Not so much, although we see that so many of these popular Netflix and Amazon shows are now filmed in Toronto, they're filmed in BC, and maybe for the most part, the main people are Americans, but so many Canadians involved, and I think some of them, the Canadians are writing them. Are we seeing a new democratization where where the cream of the crop is rising to the top, that the voices that have something important to say are being said and heard? But only in the US. Is, is mm. that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, what's your sense of the landscape? Um, I think a culture, I don't know if you know the choreographer Crystal Pite. She's based in BC and she has this company called Kit Pivot. And she and the collaborator, uh, uh, playwright Jonathan Young, do like every five years they do something. And so their last work is called The Reviser. And a country that it's been touring around the world, whatever they do, everybody in the world wants to see that. So the country, a country that produces Kid Pivot and Crystal Pipe is doing something extremely right. So I like, I like that you still have, I mean, we have incredible opera singers who, of course, leave the country so they can have a career because we are too small a market. And I don't know what's happening with the current crop of uh, uh, literary writers, but we had previous generation, of course, the boomer generation, which left the mark around the world with Alice Munro and Atwood and, and so on. So I don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen next with uh, with literature? Lydia, the subtitle of "Lost in Canada" is an immigrant's second thoughts. We've been talking about all these disconnected but still connected threads here, and you're giving the immigrant experience, and I'm relating to you as a person who is not an immigrant. When you talk to other immigrants, though, whether they're from the same country as you or from other countries, are you getting the same sense? What are other immigrants and even new immigrants? saying based on what they thought they were getting out of Canada in terms of a free speech place, an affordable place, a place where everybody would be commingling, and what they're actually getting? 
Yeah, that that's a huge that's a huge question. I think it's easier if you immigrate in your twenties or in your teens, and if you come over in your thirties or forties, it's going to be much harder. Uh, again, it's easier if you have kids here, so the kids bring all all kinds of different social issues and, and different people into your life. Uh, so it depends, and again, depends whether you're a small ethnic group or really cons- important ethnic group. Let's say you're from China, so so all these. Uh, variables affect how your experience will be but a lot of us a lot of us have similar similar experience um that we're finding the society very pampered uh, if that's if that's mm. a word like the we're extremely sensitive very pampered, slightly well yeah let's say very pampered people who have forgotten what actual fascism was and what genocide is and they're they're using it too easily i suppose suppose maybe you get too bored with your stable life in a liberal democracy and then you want do you want crisis you want romance of something so like a tiny conflict is very serious so i think that sometimes we, we kind of tease uh tease uh, gently tease our fellow old uh, uh, older canadians uh, native canadians uh about these things. What is a crisis? I mean, I have a weather app that has extremes, like they have, they send me this, like, these extremely loud uh, notifications of possible rainstorm, like 70% rainstorm. <laughs> it's a panic. Run it's for your a lives. Panic. I know, I know. So we have different understandings of what risk is, what danger is, um, and what pain is. I mean, I remember uh, when I went to uh, just got a first package from Dalhousie. And uh, I mean, I came from, I, I just told you about what was happening in the university. It was really, really heady time and, and very tricky, but the country f- fell apart in civil war. We had NATO bombs, we had hyperinflation and you had to finish your degree uh, through all that. And then I get a package from Dalhousie that tells me you really, when you come over, you should not be wearing any scented products because it'll upset blah, 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 or people are. So, you know, you see it's two different, very different notions of what is inconvenient, what is painful, what is dangerous. How do these second thoughts that immigrants are having manifest itself in terms of what they do moving forward? Is it a, a, a sort of quiet resignation and acceptance? Is it, oh, tell everybody else, you know, Canada's not actually that amazing. I know we were bragging about it for years, but man, it's so-so. Go go party in Berlin. It's more fun there or whatnot. <laughs> how, how is, what's the word on the street now in terms of how we're looking? Well, it depends. Again, depends what you're doing. I mean, if you're retired, I have this friend uh, who, immigrated with her family from Bosnia, uh, just as the war in Sarajevo was starting. And they were in their 40s, the kids were teens, and they had a much harder time than I did. And the husband has recently died and the the kids are now adult women. And uh, my friend's probably gonna come back because I mean, now she's retired and what's my project now? My my kids have grown up and my partner's gone. you see how shallow your, your your roots have been in the last uh, 20 years, right? So, but I, I mean, I know people who have married a, a local person and uh, that's a whole different story again, right? So, I mean, when it comes to my second thoughts, that's probably referring to the, the more personal side of the book, which is I hit the middle age and then my last parent died and I realized, whew, 
I really, I really should have spent more time with both my mom and my dad. Because when you're young, it's all about you. It's about freedom. It's about being free from constraints of your family and your, your ethnic group. And the Balkan is oversaturated with history. And then uh, when your parents are gone, you just think, wow, well, I should have maybe recalibrated uh, some of that obsession about freedom with something else. Maybe I should have just have spent more time with them and that kind of stuff. Where do you see these problems trending in Canada? Is this a, a blip that we have to figure out, the isolation that comes with technology, the lack of strong communities, and we're, we're going to get over these hurdles? Or are these things worsening? Are we moving towards the, the science fiction horror story matrix scenarios? <laughs> I, I'm picking extremes here. You, know, you can pick know, a middle, please do. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> That's that's the toughest. That's the that's a tough question. That's a, I certainly hope when it comes to these things about um, the liberties and how we are against free speech and all that. I hope that's a trend. I hope that's gonna just has its thing and and blow over and we're gonna start realizing that uh, actually we should we should have freedom of speech. We shouldn't question it. Uh, people should be allowed to rent uh, rooms in libraries even even if you don't agree with them and, and things of that sort. Uh, I, I sometimes hear like I'm listening to an interview with somebody in the, uh, with the with a journalist in the US recently on a podcast and she's she's in her early 30s she's she's one of those people who thinks that's you know, it's already too late I that institutions have been captured captured with this new post liberal ideology and then what we're having now, it's just the last resistance, basically, from old school uh, uh, oldies, old, old geezers, geezer liberal, liberals like myself, Gen X and older. Uh, I think that's very bleak, and uh, I don't think that's warranted. I think there's still things to be done. But when it comes to atom atomization and all that, that's... A big, that's a big one because the forces are economic, right? So we're, we're more and more precarious and uh, there's a lot of us who are freelancers and two years of COVID and, and, and shattering of, of businesses did not help. So that, that I don't know if I'm, if I'm, if I'm very optimistic about. The, we, will, we will be either we will stay this much atomized or it's going to get even worse. So people hunkering down in their own ethnic groups and the rest of people living on their own. And I mean, remember when Theresa May was uh, prime minister in, in the UK, they had a special minister for loneliness. So the people are noticing these, these social trends and, and trying to address them. But um, I'm not sure what's going to happen in Canada. I think for, for an immigrant who has not started their own family, uh, I think volunteering is a great way to kind of grow roots and uh, I've been volunteering in an adult literacy college which was absolutely great so things like that can help and also joining sports leagues and uh, soccer pickup and ch and chess uh, in neighborhood chess club and that kind of stuff Lydia Lost in Canada an immigrant's second thoughts is a very fascinating read I found it uh, really enjoyable and informative thanks so much for joining us for the discussion today Thank you. It was my pleasure. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Prue, with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. And you can help us by giving us a rating or a review, and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.